you can open up to 2 Kings chapter 2. Now, we went through these two chapters on Tuesday night, and it's the completion of the ministry for Elijah the prophet. We've studied him quite a bit the last few weeks. 2 Kings is just like second half of 1 Kings. It's literally like a football game. You had halftime, and now you come back out. It's 2 Kings. It just picks up chronologically with the kings of Israel and what's going on with the northern kingdom. And so Elijah has had this super fruitful, amazing ministry, unprecedented. Even so, when Jesus is glorified in the New Testament, transfigured on the mount there, Mount Transfiguration, Elijah shows up from eternity and Moses shows up from eternity. Moses representing the law of God and Elijah representing all the prophets of God in the Old Testament. So that's how significant Elijah is and that's important to our story. So as we pick it up in chapter 2, Elijah has his uh, mentor who he's mentoring. It's Elisha, S-H-A instead of J-A-H, Elijah and Elisha. And back in the previous book, 1 Kings, when Elijah called Elisha, there's two things we know. That God told Elijah that Elisha would be his replacement. Okay, so there's a divine purpose in calling on Elisha's life. And that when Elijah did call Elisha, Elijah was plow, Elisha was plowing the field. He stopped. He cut up the plow and made a sacrifice of the bulls that were plowing the field. And he was all in. His, his ability to create wealth, his livelihood, his identity, he was all in. He gave it up and immediately went into his calling. Just like when Jesus called Matthew from the tax collector's booth or Peter and Andrew and John and James from their fishing business. It was absolute. It was immediate. And he was all in. And he's had this amazing life, Elijah, and as he's wrapping up his life, now Elisha has been spending time with him, observing the ministry, what it's like to be with him. And suddenly, after the death of Ahaziah, the evil king, the son of Ahab, who had a very short reign, just a couple years, suddenly Elijah, Elisha, and the other prophets in Israel understand that Elijah is going to be leaving planet Earth. His time is done. His life's coming to an end. But unlike almost all humanity, he doesn't die. The Lord comes from him in glory. The famous story of Elijah's chariot, which we covered in detail on Tuesday night as well, where God opens up eternity like this, and the dimension comes in and takes him up, and up he goes, and boom, like that. Just like when Jesus went up, the same thing, like, mm, 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 like that. That's how it works. And so that happened... And that's not the focal point of our study tonight. The focal point is Elijah asking, saying to Elisha, what do you want? Ask. And so that's what we're going to look at tonight. We're focusing on the invitation to ask, what was asked for, and what it really means in the, in the scheme of the kingdom, and what it would mean for our lives tonight here at Worship Generation. So as Elisha, Elijah is preparing to depart, he, he tells Elisha, you know, hey, you can stay here. I'm going there, but you can stay here. No, I'm with you. So Elijah stays with them and all these stops while they're getting ready to go. And so right there about the Jordan River, eternity's about to open up and come for Elijah. Elijah says this to Elisha in verse 9 of chapter 2. And so it was when they had crossed over, that is the Jordan, and it was miraculously how they did it too, that Elijah said to Elisha, ask, what may I do for you? Before I am taken away from you. Elisha said, Please let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. And so Elijah responded, You have asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, 
If you see me when I'm taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if not, it shall not be so. That's pretty much our last conversation, right? And as the text reads on, he did see Elijah taken up. The coat of Elijah fell to him, the mantle. And he says, where is the God of Elijah? Elisha says, he strikes the water, it parts. And so it's confirmation of the power. And even the other prophets who are watching from a distance said, surely the spirit of Elijah is on Elisha. So there's a witness of that power being passed on to Elisha. Now, contextually realize, as I was mentioning earlier, but just a little more emphasis here, there had never been, listen, this is very important to this story. There had never been a human being with the ministry and the authority and the power of heaven on earth as Elijah. When you go from Genesis to the time here, you have Samuel, you have David, Moses, you have some amazing things, you have some amazing miracles that happen with Moses, but the actual prophetic ministry of Elijah is just amazing. He called down the fire from heaven against the prophets of Baal. He was fed by the ravens. He, he, just, he just had this amazing ministry where he was just so bold for the Lord. We read about him that he stood before the Lord and that gave him courage to stand before Ahab, a powerful king, and speak the truth whether he wanted to hear it or not. It made him fearless before Ahaziah, the son of Ahab, when Ahaziah was calling for him to come and sending all the troops to come get him. And he was like fearless and eventually he went and he just said to the king Ahaziah on his deathbed, Ahab's son, what he had previously said two times before that. He just showed up and said the same thing. And then Ahaziah stepped into eternity. Elijah was a man ready, a person, a human, ready to step into the presence of the Lord because on a daily basis, he lived for the Lord, thought about the Lord, and his whole life was the Lord. Sort of like where Jesus said to his disciples, abide in me and I in you, for apart from me you can do nothing. And the whole, the life of Elijah with the spirit of God upon him, the power that he had, his sense of God's presence, his passion for the calling, his fearlessness against evil. It it reminds us of Jesus. In a lot of ways, he is a type of Jesus. There are a lot of similarities between his ministry and the ministry of Jesus. So Elijah is caught up to the Lord, and these few words exchanged here really set in motion for us what we want to look at. So he poses this question, and and, and so it was, verse 9, you can almost imagine like any pastor step into eternity or retiring, the boss looking at the replacement. Like we need to get the context here, right? Like he's out, he's in. She's out, she's in. He says, ask what I may do for you. So this is the real thing here. The greatest prophet of all time in human history to this point, and maybe arguably just in general, the greatest prophet of all time says to his disciple, ask what I may do for you. So the invitation is there. Now, we have other askings in the Bible that are somewhat similar. Or, for example, of course, Solomon had the dream where the Lord appeared to him in the dream. What would you like? Remember that? And he asked for wisdom. And because he asked for wisdom, God gave him length of days and all these other things as well. The prayer of Jabez, which we'll get to in Chronicles, he just asked for everything. Like, Lord, just expand my boundaries, expand my vision, expand my influence. And the Lord did. The prayer of Jabez, one of the more profound prayers in the Bible. When Jesus and John 
was his ministry was being revealed through John the Baptist in chapter one, as the disciples like Andrew and Peter and Nathaniel, those guys began to follow him. He he said, "What what do you seek? What do you want?" He asked them a question, "What what do you want from him?" So there's all kinds of examples of this in the Bible. Where it's like about asking. And of course, Jesus himself said to seek, knock, and ask to the church, to his disciples. In fact, he said we could do greater things than he did, which I'm still trying to understand in the 61st year of my journey on planet Earth, but Jesus did say we would do greater things than he did, which is something that's always good for the church to think about anytime we gather together. Elijah's response is awesome. Now listen, some people think like, well, I might go for this, but I'm afraid to ask for that, but I would never ask for that. This guy goes, I want a double portion of what you got. So he's looking at the arguably the most spirit-filled man that's ever lived in human history up to this point in time, because God didn't put a spirit on that many people, and he certainly did on Elijah. And he says, I want double what you got. So he's looking at the highest standard ever of a prophet. And like you might say, like, oh, I hope to equal that. It'd be like, you know, Jeff Johnson's retiring from Downing in a couple weeks. And our friend Artie Reyes is uh, replacing him. And Artie's been transitioning into this for the last year or two. And, and you say, Artie, what, what do you want as a new lead pastor of Calvary Downing? You know, 50 years, we're celebrating 50 years of Jeff Johnson in just a few weeks there. All that happened here in 50 years. And, you know, Artie, well, for sure, I know Artie, he says, like, you'd want to at least take it forward from what it is. You want, well, I, if I could do as much as Jeff Johnson, what God did in his life for 50 years, that'd be awesome. You might say, ask Brian Broderson the same thing with Calvary Costa Mesa. Or anyone that replaces anyone at any given time. Joshua replacing Moses. What would you like? Do you want to be equal to what preceded you, greatness? Or can you believe God for even a whole other level of greatness? The double. Elisha was quick to say double portion. Which makes me think it's possible he already had an idea what he wanted from the Lord in his life. Because I might ask you, what would you want from the Lord? And you might ask me what I would want from the Lord. And I've asked a lot of people, what do you want from the Lord? And a lot of times like, well, I don't know. You know, like, listen, you ask me what I want from the Lord. I'll tell you what I want from the Lord. I'll break it down in 10 categories for you with my personal walk, with my family, with my finances, with WG, with guest speaking, with the book I'm writing, with motivational speaking, all this. I tell you with dancing and Instagram, I can tell you 10 categories in my life with the goals and the vision that if I get double portion, what exactly I'm looking for from the Lord. I can tell you, I won't right now, how much money I'm asking for the Lord, from the Lord, for me. And what I want to do with it, with the Lord. How much I'm asking for WG, what I want to do to the Lord, the Joy Brand Ministry Foundation, what I want to do. I'm thinking 20 years ahead when I'm in, ter- in eternity, and my grandkids, 40 years ahead, are running a ministry foundation, just like the Ford descendants run the Ford Foundation. So if you ask me, I'll know my answer, and it'll be a big answer. Now, whether or not God does that is, is up to him. But, you know, a lot of people walked on planet Earth before Elisha showed up. But when a guy's all in like Elisha, and you're hanging with Elijah and watching all the miracles, and, I mean, it, it, takes, it, takes, some, it takes some mojo. I, I could use a sports analogy. I could use a business analogy. But I'll just say, 
this is his own analogy. This was the greatest prophet, and, his, and the guy underneath him, like the backup quarterback, says, oh, I don't just want the Hall of Fame. I want to be double what you are in the Hall of Fame. The double portion request here is amazing, and it just jumps out at us. So he's at, like, what do, you, what do you want? So I would, just something for all of us to think right now, as if the Lord asked you, what would you ask for? That's worth getting up early tomorrow morning and writing in your journal what you'd ask for in your personal walk with the Lord, in your relationships, with your finances. I even pray over how to treat my pets to take good care of my dogs because they cost money. You got to get them groomed. You got to do their glands. I mean, you, you got to go, you got to get either their vaccines, all kinds of, like dogs cost money to do it right. And the Proverbs tells me that a man who takes care of his animals is a good man. And I, I value my animals. It's all a responsibility, the stewardship and I have the categories, and I look at them, and I pray over them. I read, my, I read my Bible first, I pray first, and then I remind myself what it is I'm asking from the Lord in every aspect of my life, beginning with the man I see in the mirror, and ending with the legacy of my faith when I'm gone. And I think that's a good, a good thing for you too. Elisha was ready for the question. But he asked a hard thing. I've been thinking, you know, I've told you before, I asked Pastor Chuck for money three times. And all three times he said no. What's really funny is twice he gave money to my daughter Hannah without solicitation. I haven't figured what all that means yet, but I'm just saying that's part of the equation. But if I forget to come back to this on asking for hard things, hard things require hard things. And I looked back and asking for more money from Pastor Chuck, and I thought about this this week. I never offered more things for what I was asking. But you know, I never thought of that till this week. I asked Chuck for more money, but I never told him what I'd do to earn that money. So you young people, listen to me. Because Chuck was very wise, very wise. And Joy Benz would say, hey, you don't pay me enough to live in Orange County. I got four kids. It's expensive. He's like, oh. You know, and... Uh, it was a great conversation. We hugged and everything. He called other churches and offered me as their pastor. It was awesome. But um, I never offered to do more for more money. I suppose that's the difference between being 45 and 61. Because I suddenly realized I should have offered more and asking more. When you go big, you got to prepare to invest big. So if I forget to tell you that, I just told you that right now especially for the young people. He asked big. It tells us he had a big vision. He had a big God with small problems. When he's going to be surrounded by the Syrian army and his friends like, oh, we're surrounded. What are we going to do? He's like, there's way more of us than them. Just take it easy. God's on the throne. He just, big God, little problems. That's how Elisha was. He he. He woke up believing great things, he expected great things, and he saw great things. If the Lord ever asked you, or someone asked you, what would you seek from the Lord? I hope you'd ask for the daily double, the eternal double. I would hope you could look at that person that you esteem the most, male or female, put them all together, the Amy Carmichaels, the Sarah Yardleys, and all the people you could think of that are amazing women and men, and say, I'll take double of all that. Because God will bless that that woman or that man that thinks like that. The world is filled with small-minded people who limit our almighty God. 
God Almighty, El Shaddai. Don't come to this church and go home and limit El Shaddai in your life. Be big in your kingdom vision. Walk on water with Peter. Don't be afraid to sink, but walk on water. Now, he asked for, he said, the very first thing he says, a double portion, after a double portion of your spirit. So it tells us in thinking big and asking big, he has an example of someone he looks up to and respects, your spirit. So the spirit upon Elijah was obviously the Holy Spirit, like the spirit of God. So he's, what he's really saying in essence is, I want a double portion of God's spirit that you have on me. So in answering the question, what do you seek? What would you have? What are you asking for? He's asking for that which is spiritual. He's asking for the spiritual. And in our asking, we should always be motivated by the spiritual. Because if you haven't figured it out, we all certainly will. This is all temporal. It's spiritual working in and through the temporal in our lives right now on planet Earth. It's this balance of like, God's just doing so much that we don't even, well, he'll show us if we ask for it and we look for it, but he's doing so much more than what we see in the time, space, and matter. We have to get to the spiritual realm and see the big picture. And when we spend time in prayer asking and moving the kingdom of God, it it, it all becomes spiritual. All the things that seem like carnal and political become spiritual. And you can begin to move things spiritually through effective prayer life, through believing, through trusting and being available and going for things. The response when the Lord asks us, what, what do we want? The double portion of the Spirit of God in our life. For it is, of course, Zechariah said, not by might nor by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. And Zerubbabel, who he was speaking to at the time, the political leader of Israel around 535 B.C., rebuilding the temple after they came back from the Babylonian captivity, The people were discouraged. The work had stopped. Everything had stalled. There was political, literally political legal opposition to the work of God, finishing the second temple being built. They tried to intimidate and bully everybody. They made them afraid to sign the document saying that they were a part of the rebuilding of the temple. Who, hey, who's who's doing this? We want to know your name. You tell us every single person that's rebuilding the temple right now. Well, by the time Zerubbabel had the Spirit of God upon him and the vision and the word of the Lord through Zechariah, he didn't care what anyone thought. Those guys, Ezra, they were like, this is who we are, this is where we live, this is what we're doing. We serve the living God. We stand before the Lord. We're not afraid to stand before you. They were emboldened. But in that word of the Holy Spirit, that it's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord, God said, who are you, O mountain, to stand before Zerubbabel? I will beat you into fine dust and level you like a plane. And Zerubbabel will complete that which I've created him and purposed him to do with shouts of grace, grace, when the capstone is laid for the temple. So you see the big thing, the double portion, the work that God wants to do, it is a spiritual work. It's begun in the spirit, or as it says, having begun in the spirit, shall be perfected in the flesh. Galatians, it's begun in the spirit, it's maintained in the spirit, faith is a working element, and it's completed in the spirit, and that's our life, that's what it's meant to be. God doing that work in our life that we're created uniquely for, only you can keep it from coming to pass, and only you can bring it to pass. If I've learned anything in 35 years of ministry, is you can't make someone do what they don't want to do in Jesus' name. 
in a lot of ministries trying to stir people up to do it. You, early on, you think you can carry them in doing it. After a while, you go like, I can't carry you to do what you're called to do. I got my hands full doing what I'm called to do. Only you can truly keep you from fulfilling the one destiny you have for the purpose of your life in Jesus Christ. And only you can decide to let the Spirit of God fulfill it in and through your life. And maybe you're like Navy against Notre Dame today in college football. They were so far down at halftime. They scored something like 21 points in the second half, and they didn't win. But that tells me a lot about what kind of team makes up Navy football. I saw that score and what happened. I was like, that's impressive. What do you mean, Joy? What I mean is if you feel like you're down by four touchdowns in life and you're 60, well, go out there in the second half and play your heart out. And if you lose, you lose. If you win, you win. But close the gap on the score. Because winning reveals quite a bit about us, but losing reveals everything about us. I never accepted losing until it was over, and then I did accept it. No matter how bad I was losing as a pro surfer, on the highest level of the sport, I never quit. And I tried to close the gap on how badly I was losing. See, it's by the Spirit, and Elijah looked at Elijah and said, I need that power, that dunamis power. And then in the New Testament, we're told that we're given that power. Jesus promised that power for the believer. So everything he wants to do in and through our life, in the purpose of our life, it's his power. It's the word dunamis in the Greek is, of course, the word we get dynamite from. It's explosive. All these firecrackers on the fourth, the third and the fourth of July, they terrorize my dogs, right? And some guy, a couple of years ago during COVID, I swear that guy lit a firecracker every night for the next two months after the fourth of July in defiance to the government or something, man. I walk my dogs, there it goes, here every night, nine o'clock from over there off by England Street. That's dynamite power, gun power, power. That's the word, the root word, dunamis. That's the power we have to do, to be, to accomplish what God wants to do in our life. So ask for the double portion and recognize we need the power, the power, the spiritual power that God gives us to do whatever it is we're called to do. And if we've not done it well, then today's a great day to commit to do it well. What do we do in ministry? I've been praying for a lot of people this week for different things. And I thought, what would I tell people who at some point in their life who are not walking with the Lord right now and have made bad decisions, what would I tell them? I'd tell them, today's a new day and his mercies are new every morning. I'd tell them, this is the day that the Lord has made. Let's get on with it right now. That's what I would tell them. So if that's what i tell someone who's fighting the Lord or opposed to the Lord, how much more would I tell the body of Christ the same thing and the man I see in the mirror on Sunday morning? The dunamis power is there the moment we're willing to humble ourselves and seek the Lord and ask for it. Ask what you want. I, I want a double portion of your spirit. And that spirit is the spirit of God. But then he said, upon me. So the first thing I'm pointing out here is the, the, the spirit, that spiritual power, the dunamis power from the Lord. But then it, it's like if you look at people you esteem, like for me as a pastor, look at Pastor Chuck Smith or Jeff Johnson at Downey and, and, or Greg Laurie, you know, people like I would really esteem in their ministry and say like, well, Greg Laurie is a really good example. Like, whenever Greg teaches, I'm like, how come I can't teach like that? Like, maybe if you're an athlete and you're around a really, you're a really good athlete, but then you get like, you're a better athlete of that kind of athlete. And you're like, how come, like, I don't know. But Greg Laurie is like, wow. Right? Like, when, when he speaks, it's like the most 
whether he's talking to the president or to my son at Potola Coffee. He's so clear and articulate and, and personal. It's amazing to me. See, Elijah's like, I'm really impressed by what God's done in your life, Elijah. And there's never been, there's no precedent to it before. And I want that power and I want it upon me in full, full strength. Upon him. See, as much as I respect Jeff Johnson and Greg Laurie or Sarah Yardley's different women in ministry that I look up to, as much as I respect them, I want to get the power for me. I want to get that power on my life. See, it's not, it's like when you cheer on a football team or a sports team or you cheer on people or you do certain things, we don't participate. I went to a Charger game last year at the new stadium with my son, Timmy, and Jacob, my son-in-law. Wow, that's so five stadiums. Wow. I was blown away. They were playing the Chiefs. They lost in overtime. It was a great game. It was national TV. We were screaming. We were yelling. I was like, oh, come on. It was like, oh, we were screaming. It was a great game. It really was until we lost. But even with us, I kept telling everyone, it's a great game. But I was never on the field. I watched the highlights. I screamed. I cheered. I was wearing my Danian Tomlinson jersey from 2008. Old Charger color. But I was not on the field. See, it can be easy to sit at Calvary Christian Mason under Chuck and cheer on the game like your Joy Brand cheering on Justin Herbert. But you are supposed to be on the field. You're supposed to be out there taking hits and making hits. So you need the power on you, not just on me. You need the power on you. It needs to be personal. We see it with people that we would esteem and that we study in history, but we need the power on us. And so the request is a spiritual request, but it's a personal request to help fulfill his calling and purpose from the Lord. See, Elijah has finished his ministry with the power of the Lord upon his life. But now Elisha is replacing him, and he needs that power for his calling. So the request is a great request. It's for his calling. And we only get one. I've just been thinking so much about this. We only get one. Back to Pastor Jeff Johnson. You know, he's had cancer in the leg. I always esteem Jeff Johnson. He actually reminded me the most of Pastor Chuck Smith and his teaching style. Very similar. When I first got married to Jennifer in 1988, and we went out with the movie Sunriders, it's the same year that the Harvest Book came out with the stories of all these Calvary Chapel pastors, the original first wave, Greg Laurie, Skip Isaac, Jeff Johnson, and all. And I began to meet these guys, and I was like in awe of them when I met them. And I remember the night Jennifer and I went to... Downey and showed the movie Sunriders in 1988. So I went to Calvary Chapel Downey the first time on Woodruff Road there in Downey in 1988 with my wife Jennifer and in the fellowship hall to a full crowd, not the big sanctuary, but the fellowship hall. We showed the movie Sunriders. I shared the gospel message. I gave an invitation and people responded. That's what I remember. But I was at Jeff Johnson's church. That literally was almost 35 years ago. 
in two Sundays, they're celebrating his 50 years of ministry. And then I thought about this. When COVID hit and LA had the heavy regulations and all the big churches were like, oh, what do we do? It was so arduous. And same time, Jeff got cancer. COVID and cancer at the same time, trying to navigate this stuff. Unbelievable. And they got a lot to lose. I mean, it's like eight to 10 acres. Their property is like the size of Calvary Costa Mesa in Los Angeles County. In really good real estate in Downey. Like it's prime time. Like I'm sure the people that want to build houses on that land, like a lot of money could be made to do that. That land was bought a long time ago, but it's been there for ministry for 50 years. So I was thinking about this. I read of a painter. It's actually in Zig Ziglar's book, See at the Top. He talked about this famous painter who had arthritis at the end of his career. And in pain, he would paint. He could barely hold the brush and he would paint. And it was an excruciating pain, like my bad back four years ago, or Haley's shoulder last week, or anytime you've had excruciating pain where you can pass out, like excruciating pain, famous painter. And one of his friends said to him, why do you keep painting? And he said, because the pain is temporal, but the beauty is forever. And that's 50 years of ministry for Jeff Johnson. I thought of all the babies he saved with House of Ruth. We had children in our children's ministry that we received through House of Ruth in this church. Robert Llewellyn, who was a pastor here, he would stand out front and try and save babies from the abortion clinic. I had a woman scream at me at Downey one time because I had mentioned something pro-life from the pulpit. She was in the congregation and she screamed at me. I go, well, I think it might be the wrong church. Because I'm pretty certain this church thinks every life counts, just so you know. Oh, what Jeff Johnson went through. Oh, the slander. Oh, the gossip. Who even knows the city, the city fights he had with the property and usage and that kind of stuff? Who even knows what he went through? His kids grow up. They have kids and all, you know, it's a big family and all that stuff. The permits to do all the outreaches at Cerrito College and all this stuff and all that he did and all going to Russia when the Iron Curtain came down and Pasha and all this stuff. He did so much and now he's got cancer and he's, 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 he's not the pastor in two weeks. That's what we need to see. We need to see that the pain is worth the beauty. Because of all the things that cost him a good night's sleep and 50 years of ministry, I don't think any of those things that cost him a good night's sleep at this point in his life. There just comes a point where you say, like Paul, I fought the good fight, I've run the race, and I've kept the faith. And that's all there is to it. We need to fulfill our calling and our purpose that we're created for. And the only way we can do that is to have all the power of God, not that just Elijah had that we admire and respect like Jeff Johnson or these other people we can esteem, but here, now, today, that power upon my life and your life to finish the job, to finish well, to run well with endurance and power and focus and passion till we're done. To play hard in the game of life till, the, till it's over. Nonetheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith? And I certainly hope so in our lives. What do we ask? Are we asking for a double portion to get the Spirit of God to fulfill the call of God? That's what we're talking about, to fulfill that call. If I ever thought I could do ministry on my own, and there's times I thought I could, 
35 years of ministry of teaching, I can't do anything. I'm just happy I haven't been cut or put on waivers, to be honest. But his mercies are new every morning. So you learn to show mercy. And you realize as you sow, you reap. So you learn after a while, I think I'll sow, sow grace so I'll get grace. I think I'll sow mercy so I can get mercy. I think I'll sow abundantly so I can reap abundantly. You learn these things as you go. But the final thing, so we see it was the Spirit of God, and it was a call of, it was the Spirit of God for our life upon us. We're not in the stands watching the Chargers. We're in the real deal. We're in the game, and we're where you get hit. There's a whole lot of hitting going on in the kingdom of God, especially if you ask for a double portion. I got to think about this one. Because, you know, there's a pastor verse. You know, you get pastor's conference. We all want a double portion of Pastor Chuck. And all, yes, yes. And I'm like, wait a second. Ministry is a death sentence. The death of my pride, my flesh, my arrogance, all that stuff. I'm constantly being crucified in front of you. That's just for my portion. So I got to thinking, if I want a double portion, that's a double death sentence. But what could be sweeter for all eternity and for the people that you come in contact with than you being under a double death sentence for your pride, your flesh, and your selfishness? That becomes a double blessing for your spouse, a double blessing for your children, your grandchildren, your coworkers, your fellow citizens, the people over you and the people under you, from the highest office in the land to the lowest person that no one esteems. You know, I always try and make eye contact with the people cleaning out the trash at Pacific City. You know why? Because they're important. They're important. It's probably their first job in America. And they're really happy to be emptying the trash cans at Pacific City where people are spending lots of money. And I always try and make contact and smile at them and thank them. Because I've been that guy. And if I hadn't been, I should esteem that. We are all under, when, when we let the Holy Spirit break down our pride, so instead of, like, like, we get a double portion of humility, then, then we can be entrusted with a double portion of faith. But if we don't have a double portion of humility, how is God ever going to give us a double portion of faith? Her who has, more will be given. But to him who doesn't have, even what he has will be Taken. So you see, it really is like asking Chuck for money, but not offering more for the service. If I'm going to ask God for a double portion, then guess what? i got to get my hustle on. Not because I'm earning my salvation, but because I want to be the starting quarterback in the kingdom of God. My son Luke was a high school quarterback. And I'll tell you what he did that was different than most of the football players. He had to come earlier and stay later. And he studied more. Because you're the brain of the offense. On days when guys weren't even doing football, he's out there with the quarterback coach, Jared, with two other quarterbacks doing this kind of stuff. And just all these things. There was more required. And the thing is, we can't ask for a double portion and not expect to bring a double service. If we're going to ask to see the water turn to wine, then we need to fill the water pots. And we need to bring our hustle on. 
Last year, the Lord gave us more money in this church. The tithe offering, the tithes and offerings were more than any previous year. In a year when a lot of churches said they were way down. This year, we're surpassing that. Last year, we gave more to missions than we ever did in any year. This year, we've already given more than last year. But I have found in all this, the Lord has required much more of me in my prayer life and the accounting of the decimal points and the zeros. That's what I'm learning. And the Lord's like, well, if you want to come into my office and ask for more, then you better know what you're asking for, how you're going to do it, and why you're going to do it. And I suddenly realized, thinking about Pastor Chuck, who worked for a low wage for 20 plus years as a pastor of various churches in the Foursquare movement, serving the Lord faithfully, raising those four kids and all that stuff, while pastoring a church with hardly any compensation while working at Safeway, being a grocery guy and all this stuff. And then suddenly it all happens, and by the time he steps into eternity, he was entrusted with close to, well, certainly a quarter billion, you know, $250 million empire, the Calvary resources, all paid for in full, because that's how he did business. In the lessons of doing it, being a cashier at Safeway, somehow, and pastoring small churches faithfully, somehow God taught him things and brought through him through things that he wasn't just going to be your average four-square pastor, evangelical pastor. He made himself available for more, and he passed those tests, and God gave him more. There's a movie coming out very soon, The Jesus Revolution, and it captures that whole movement that birthed the Calvary movement. But before that happened, this man was faithful in the, in, the, in the secret and the quiet place in places like Tucson and Prescott. And he learned as a faithful steward to believe God for big things and great things like Bible colleges and conference centers and missionaries all over the world. And he went for it. And he was faithful. I wish I could go back in and ask for money again. Because I tell them what you're willing to do for it. I was like, Chuck, if you give me a raise, I'll be here at 8 a.m. Well, all right. See, that's all I needed to say. If you ask for a double portion, you better bring double game. Not so much, again, as a work to please God. But you better find another level. See, that's what I like about sports. You have, like, AOSO soccer. Then you have, like, little, little kid club soccer. Then you have, like, serious club soccer, like 15, 16. Then you have, like, woo, big time. Or, or if it's baseball, it's like you have club baseball. You have, you know, you have all these kids play little league, and then, you know, just a few play junior high, and then it's club, and then they only, they're all elite in high school. Everyone's good. And then only if, like, one in 15,000 plays collegiate level, and of that, how many make it to even double-A ball. Like, see, it's a weeding-out process. The farther you go, the more it requires. But I've been thinking about this in my own life. Again, because I take care of my... I see my dad twice a week at 92. You know, like, I have a lot of reminders that eternity is right around the corner for me, as many of you do too as well, right? We do. We just do. And I said, man, I just... I want to find that other gear. That's why Harlan Sanders, Colonel Sanders... When I read his biography, I was so inspired by Harlan Sanders, Colonel Sanders, 
because he had all these ideas for money making and he had these chicken recipes, did all this stuff. Then he retired with almost no pension at 61, 62, was broke. And he said, you know what, I'm going to go for it with this chicken recipe. Well, the rest is history, like KFC history. At 65, 66, 67, yeah, he made it happen. And it wasn't dumb luck either. He had his hustle on. He was a, a very strong Christian, huge supporter of Billy Graham, Jerry Falwell, and uh, Swigert, Jimmy Swigert. Anyone preaching the gospel, he made all that money because they're already in his 70s. You've got to give it away, right? Because you can't take it with you. He found people to give it to. KFC, Harlan Sanders. It's worth Googling Wikipedia to read his story. That's how I look at things. That's the problem being older. When you're older, you think, oh, if I could be younger again, I would do it so different, right? Don't you want to look at all your younger people like your adult kids? Like, hey, listen. But they only take so much when you give it to them, right, you guys? It is like small pieces. But you want to give it. You want to like, you really want to help them. So we just say one more time, let's get a double portion. Let's ask for a double portion. Let's get the spirit of God Let's get the power of God upon our life that we can fulfill our calling, whatever, however it's been to this day. Because I think, like, what's this application? See, teaching this to WG would be different than teaching a youth camp. Like, if I taught this text to a youth camp, it's all in front of them. I'm recruiting before the season's begun. Here, you guys are like, hey, it's the fourth quarter. There's no room for a rut in this building. There's plenty of room for a double portion, though. And that's what we got to get after. And that's what we're going after. So I hope as we go forward in November, toward the end of the year, if I say to you, hey, ask what you will, and I'll do what I can do for you, I hope that you can give me these one or two, three things that challenge you. Because if you ask for something easy, there's nothing special in that. Easy things are easy for a reason. You can have the government take care of you for your whole life. Easy. Life's not meant to be easy with the Lord. It's meant to be refining to prepare us for eternity and glory. Like the book our kids read 15 years ago, Do Hard Things, was a popular book. Don't be afraid to ask for the double portion. Greatness with the Lord, even if it's not profound in people's sight, greatness with the Lord is when you ask for a double portion. When you see, when you look at everything God's done and you say, and one. And whether or not God chooses to do it or not, that's his business. But you want to believe in him for that business. And you want to prepare yourself for that business and get after it like it's your business and do your business and ask Chuck for a raise and offer him what you're going to do to earn it. Amen?